Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. So we've been um, in a series, we started a new series last week, The Church Advancing. And uh, this morning I've titled today's message, The The Hallmarks of His Church. And when we think about uh, His Church, we, we often can um and not not so much in in uh in these circles now that we swing in because there's been a lot of teaching on what the church is and isn't so just for those that that maybe just want to refresh out the church isn't the building it's not the place where people gather but it's us it's us believers we are we are the church we form the church and uh, we are his bride and so the bible is very clear on a lot of these things for us and I was thinking just throughout this week, what are some of the hallmarks of his church? We're talking about the church advancing, the church moving forward. Um, you know, it's great when you go and you actually do some reading on history and church history. And you see the way that the, the early church had transformed culture. And how the early church, by, by the second century, were, were so into spreading the gospel and people being born again that Rome declared Christianity a religion for their, for their, for their jurisdiction. And it's just amazing that this gospel message, this, this Christianity as we know it, and us as the church continue to this day. And God's still got a plan to advance His church. And I'm excited because all around about this world, we continue to hear stories of outbreaks of the Holy Spirit. We hear about renewal happening in people's lives. And hey, Mudgee's poised for renewal. By faith, Mudgee is poised for renewal. And I just believe that God wants to move powerfully in his church and so this morning we're going to look at some hallmarks of his church and the merriam-webster's definition of hallmark as a noun is an official mark stamped on gold and silver articles this was done in england to attest their purity it's a mark or device placed or stamped on an article or of trade to indicate origin purity or genuineness a distinguished a distinguishing characteristic trait or feature in the first uh, chapter of Ephesians, Paul talks about us being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to share about that today, but know this is a believer in Jesus Christ that when we put our faith in, in Him, God puts a mark on our lives. God sends His Holy Spirit to come and dwell inside a believer. And the Bible tells us that that's like a down payment. It's, it's, to, it's to assure us as believers that we are going to inherit something greater something beyond this life that we now experience but God wants to put a mark on us but I believe that he also places within us certain characteristics uh, that he would like to come out of us and just a little bit of background on the golden history of the hallmark centuries ago King Edward I of England decreed that gold and silver had to be tested and approved by master craftsmen before being sold Later, London artisans were required to bring finished metal goods to Goldsmiths Hall to be checked. And if those items met the quality standard of the craft masters there, they would be marked with a special stamp of approval. The process is much the same today. At first, people used Hallmark to name the mark of excellence from Goldsmiths Hall. But over the years, the word became, uh, came to refer to any mark guaranteeing purity or genuineness and eventually the name uh, any sign it came to name any sign of outstanding talent creativity 
or excellence. Just that there, guaranteeing purity or genuineness. And I, I don't know about you, but I often take time out in my life and my devotional time with the Lord and say, God, I just want to invite you in this moment to examine the motives of my heart. Anyone else ever done that? Take a moment just to say, God, I just want to bring everything back into check again. I just want to make sure, look, if, if there's something in my life right now that I just pray that you would shine a light on that thing. And quite often, do you know what happens? I find that the Holy Spirit will shine a light. You've given him an invitation. He'll shine a light on a conversation that you maybe had with someone. He'll shine a light on an exchange or, a, or, or that you had with someone or a text message. For me, it usually involves my interaction with other people. And the Holy Spirit will just want to convict me and say, how about that? How, how well do you feel that you are representing me in that area? How did that represent me in that? And by the grace of God, we talk about God's grace in our lives. He's so gracious to us. And we can say, God, look, you know, I'm sorry that I blew it on that occasion. And I just thank you that you are faithful and just, just to forgive me and to cleanse me and to set me free again. And I can walk on this journey again with you. And I believe that that's where God wants us to be walking in accountability with him. When we think about that hallmark, uh, it might be an opportunity for some ladies in this place, maybe just to whip off your ring and make sure he bought you the genuine article today. Has it got a stamp there? Is it showing its, its purity? If your ring's anything like mine, it's pretty worn off. Um, and that might actually show that it's quite pure as well because it's nice and soft. Um, you, know, you know that sometimes in life, it's true that we need to take a closer look at something. And I believe that includes ourselves, as I've already said. This morning, I want us to take a closer look at what it is that's supposed to set us apart as genuine believers in Jesus Christ in this world. And I just want to ask, would that be okay with you? Is that okay? Fantastic. I just wanted to make sure I had your permission to go there. Because something, sometimes what, what we can say can often touch a nerve, but who knows some nerves need touching. <laughs> some nerves need to be massaged from time to time. You know, moving forward, I believe it's often helpful for us to go backwards. Have you ever lost something? Anyone that's ever lost something will know what I mean by going back to find out, you know, where we started out from. Uh, a, a week ago, I lost a blue cap that I always wear when we go for a walk in the afternoon. And uh, I said to Rochelle, I said, I don't, I don't know what's happened to this cap. Like, I come home, I take it off my head. And uh, a week later, you know, I was taking Nathaniel out for a drive last, yesterday, in his car. And here at my feet is the, is the cap stuck in underneath. But you know, I, I, I went back and I, I backtracked. And that's what we often do in life when we lose something. We often go back and we think, now, where have I been today? What, what ground have I covered? Where can I locate this item that I have lost? And uh, a lot of phone manufacturers have devices for that today too that you can actually attach to various items and, and find them. But I, I just believe it's important sometimes for us to remember where we've come from. And I don't normally do this, but I want to le read a large section of Ephesians chapter 2. And this will be reading out of the message and, uh, and so it will be on the screen if you'd like to follow on with that. And uh, it won't be the whole of chapter 2, but it'll be a good part of it. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. 
You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and sat us down in highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him to do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join in in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. I'm going to skip to uh, verse 16. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. As much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he is building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. As we think about all that Jesus has done for us. Ephesians 2, actually a lot of the book of Ephesians is, is a great reminder to us as the church, us who have been born again, us who have received this wonderful gift of salvation to be reminded that Jesus is wanting to reach all people. Jesus is wanting to use you and me to reach this generation that we find ourselves living in. And I just want to share a couple of quick points this morning that I hope uh, can remind us and both encourage us and maybe even, as I said, massage a nerve somewhere in you that wants to stir you to affect this generation for the goodness of God. I believe that would be all of us. But there's something that happens when a believer yields totally to the Spirit of Christ in their life where we're able to see with the eyes of Jesus, where we're able to have that compassion and that, that understanding and, and that discernment in, in every conversation that we lead, in every interaction that we have with other people, that we have a heart that just wants to love people. We have a heart that wants to connect them to the Creator. And I just believe that God is wanting to stir our hearts afresh around some of this stuff again. And so the first thing I want to remind us about this morning is this, number one, that God is building a home within you. Anyone that's 
ever taken it upon themselves to build a home. I haven't personally done that, uh, but I know Pastor Steve and Elizabeth, uh, and, and we, we even have builders that, that, uh, that come to church here at One Life, would know that it takes planning. It takes being able to resource provisions. It takes being able to find the right people that can come on board and help with certain trades and services that, that we're not always qualified to do ourselves. And so God is wanting to build our lives and establish our lives in Him. And I just love the way that the message puts this because it says He's using us all irrespective of how we've got here. Some of us come from the right side of town. Others of us come from the wrong side of town. I don't know if there is a right or wrong side of town, but every town seems to have a right side and a wrong side. And, and you talk to people sometimes, you say, where do you live? Oh, okay. I know I, I grew up in, in Aubrey, Wodonga, and I know, I know that there were certain parts of, of Aubrey that you just wouldn't go into because there was bad stigmas with those areas. But see, we've all got our own stuff that we come to Him with. We've all been on our own journey. Some of us have been raised in a Christian home. Others of us have, have had a form of Christianity or have had a, a form of a teaching about the Bible. Others, not. Others, not even had a, a parent or a grandparent that was a believer. But all in all, God is calling us all irrespective of of the background that we came from or how we came to being here. I'm thankful for some of these things that the message touches on in here, Ephesians 2. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, He embraced us. <laughs> Have you ever been embraced by God? Have you ever experienced the embrace of God coming around about your life? I, I have. I've personally experienced what it's like to have His arms come around about me and embrace me. And in that moment, feeling such shame and such unworthiness, and yet God's embrace is all-encompassing. And it's like, it's like that stuff that you want to raise up and say, yeah, God, but there's this, and, and your holiness is so great, and yet I'm such a sinner, and I'm such a bad person. And he goes, I love you. God's love is just so out of this world, church. It's nothing like we can ever try to conjure up on our own. You know, the Bible actually encourages us in parts of the New Testament to think about the love of God and its enormity. How wide, how deep, how high, you know, comprehending God's great love for us. He's building a holy temple. It says here, a holy temple built by God. And I love this, a temple in which God is quite at home. A temple in which God is quite at home. Any one of us. We have certain items and there's things in our own home that makes a home a home. It might be a lounge that's been in, in your possession for some time. It might be a television. It might be the way that you decorate it with photos of your family on the wall. But I think we'd all agree that there's certain things that can make a home a home. And for some, as I said, it can be the furniture. It can be the way in which it's all designed. Some people are into the flow of things, you know. How does the room flow? Are there obstructions? You know, does the front door lead to the back door? That's not a good thing, you know. Um, you know, there's all these different design, uh, I guess, principles that people can look at when designing a home. You know, for others, it might be the aspect of where the home is located. Is the home located on a, in a valley or is the home located in the cleft of a hill? 
Am I being overlooked by my neighbours? Or am I the one that's doing the overlooking? Went for a drive the other night and uh, we saw a house on a hill, a massive big front window. Must have been three, four metres across by the same high. And you could see everyone in the house. <laughs> so that's okay for some. I'd rather have a little bit of privacy in my home. Now you might think that I'm a little bit strange. But when it comes to homes, I'm a smells kind of guy. And I firmly believe that God is a smells kind of guy too. If you don't believe me, go back and read a lot of the Old Testament. And when the sacrifices came and they were offered, you'll find the, the phrase, it was a pleasing aroma or odor unto the Lord. There's something about a char grill, isn't there? There's something about meat and fat cooking over a fire that just smells so good. But I'm a smells kind of guy. And you can say, well, you're a bit strange. But, you know, I believe that God is a smells kind of guy too, as I've alluded to, so much so that he created us with this olfactory system allowing us to distinguish different smells. Mm. That's a smell I like. That's a smell I don't like. But you know that smells can be responsible for triggering certain memories. I can personally attest to smells and being like a, a homely sort of smell. I can personally attest to that when we had our first home in Lawson Street, Rochelle. Uh, we bought a gardenia and placed it at the front door. I never knew what a gardenia was. And uh, we had it for a few months and I came home from work late one afternoon and it was in flower. And as soon as I smelt the perfume from the gardenia, I got a mental picture of the back door of my grandmother's house in Bexley in Sydney. And I wouldn't have been more than four or five years of age when she lived in that house. And it was so profound, the impression that was in my head, that I had to ring my mother and say, Mum, can you tell me whether Grandma actually had a gardenia bush at the back of her, st back of her house steps? And she said she had a very big gardenia bush at her back steps of her house. But I, I, as I think about this this morning, and as I said, not to get too far off track, are you a temple that smells good and pleasing to God? Does your life create a, a, a pleasing aroma unto God? But are you a temple that smells good and pleasing to God? You know, a cartoon from my childhood was Pepe Le Pew. Anyone old enough to remember Pepe Le Pew? Yeah? My mon chéri. He used to, you know, pursue this cat. And um, do you know I recently discovered that Pepe Le Pew had been cancelled? Pepe Le Pew is no longer acceptable to modern society. Um, but I believe it's a simple misunderstanding. Pepe thought the cat was a skunk and the cat couldn't tolerate being around Pepe because Pepe smelled like a skunk. You know, sometimes things are so simple, aren't they? And so innocent. But it's just a misunderstanding. It was a simple misunderstanding. And it brings me to my second point. As representatives of Jesus Christ, we take care not to be misunderstood. In life, we can often be all too good at expressing what we are against and all too bad at conveying what we are actually for. If we were to ask a person that doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, what is your take on Christians? Brace yourself because they might say they are speakers of hate. They are homophobic or they're something that might actually strike a nerve with you. 
And that challenges me because this is a generation that we have been charged with reaching. And sometimes we've actually got to go back to find out where we started ourselves in order for us to go forward. And I'm as challenged with that statement, I wrote that statement, I'm as challenged with that statement as anyone else because it convicts me of how well am I reaching people around about me with what I am actually for. What are those things that I'm for? What are those things that that the Bible talks about that are life-giving? What are those things that this is a much better way to live? What are those things that are speaking love? What are those things that are speaking truth in love? Church, we've been charged to reach this generation. I believe that, that God wants to reach this generation. He wants to advance the church. And I just want to challenge us, you know, as we represent Jesus Jesus was the son of God on earth and he had this amazing ability just to give the right response at the right time. And, and none of us are Jesus. But I tell you what, Jesus is living in and through you and me. And he wants to reach people through you and me. And we need to get ourselves in a position where we are willing to be used by him in reaching other people that we, we're not misunderstood, but we, we speak truth in love, that we want to reach people with this message that he has for them to receive. Number three, we always need to make love our primary motivation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, anyone that's been to a Christian wedding will know that this is a verse that often comes out, but it says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. And if you've ever seen a cartoon with Pepe Le Pew in it, he will epitomize what love is. He's always hopeful that that he will win the affections of that cat. It doesn't matter what obstacle gets put in his way. It doesn't wane his passion to want to make a connection. Sometimes I need to review, do I give up? Do I lose faith? I'm always hopeful. Do I endure through every circumstance? Is love permeating from my life in all that I do? As I say, sometimes it's good to go back in order to go forward. Um, the American, American Civil War, which obviously in Australia we never uh, learned much about. But a- Abraham Lincoln grew up in a log cabin in Kentucky. He worked as a shopkeeper and a lawyer before entering politics in the 1840s. Do you know Abraham Lincoln, he was reported, reportedly told a group of White House visitors that he planned to treat the southern, or the south or the southern states with leniency after the war. A guest objected by saying, but Mr. President, I would think you would want to destroy your enemies. Lincoln replied, don't I destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? <laughs> Isn't that powerful? But it stands as a reminder for us. You know, we're not there to destroy people around about us, but we're there to want to reconcile and bring them into a relationship with a loving God. Matthew 5, this is my last scripture, verses 43 to 47 says, You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting 
as true, true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives the sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. See, it's God's desire to lead enemies, lead those that are in opposition to eternal life. And he wants to do that through his word. He wants to do that through various ministries around the world. But he also wants to do that through you and through me. And it brings eternal rewards for both us and those who were once opposed to us. I want to leave us with this quote from Pastor Robert Morris. And he says, we need to focus on the goodness of God and allow him to use us to change a hurting world. I pray that, that what I've shared today would, would maybe massage a nerve and maybe it has touched something in your heart today. Maybe it's challenged you a little bit on your stance. Maybe it's repulsed you. I don't know. But I pray that the Holy Spirit is still moving in your heart today because he wants to reach a generation that he loves and that he has died for and he's going to use you and me to do it. And I want to be part of that church that is advancing. Amen.